You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. So Romans chapter 14. Let's pray. Jesus, come now upon us and lift your church and help us, Lord God, in all manner of life. God, we love you. We love you, Lord Jesus. So come now and speak to us. Lord God, refresh us. Help us to understand things that are divine and sacred. Help us to know you, God. Help us to know the Father. God, today we're here at Father's Day, and yet you say that we can comprehend and know you because you're actually a father. You're actually this good, good father. And so help, Lord God, by the power of the Holy Spirit for that revelation of your fatherhood to come to us this moment. Jesus, we pray this in your name that you be glorified. All God's people say. So do it for love, do it for me. That's what Jesus is actually saying related to the following things that we're going to be talking about here in Romans chapter 14. So let me just take a little commercial and talk about Romans 13, what we got to last week. Last week's message was called uh, Cleansing Government. And so it's this kind of like macro way of thinking. This is actually really personal. And most of the things we're talking about here are almost like a way of saying chicken soup for the soul. I mean, they're, they're sort of that sort of sweet and, and very personal. They're not, we're not talking about civic government. We're not talking about things in the macro. In fact, the reality is God is talking very personally to you. He's actually talking very personally to me and very personally to us. And so we're going to chase this here and see if we can knock out the whole chapter. But in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible will say, As for the one who was weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. All right, let's just pause right there as we sort of kind of, kind of chase a few things. So listen, I'm going to outline a few principles. I'm going to talk about legalism. I'm going to have a few few things related to legalism in terms of what that really means and what we're talking about. But the first principle that we're looking at here, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So listen, here's the first like chicken soup for the soul. The first pragmatic thing to talk about is first and foremost, be a godly peacemaker, not a silly fighter. Be a peacemaker. Be a godly, godly peacemaker. Now, I know there's a personality type out there, and you have benefits, and there's a strength to you without a doubt, but there are some people, they're kind of hardwired. I mean, they really are hardwired. If they're not in a fight, they're going to go find one. You have those in your family? Yeah, nobody wants to admit to being that one. <laughs> but there's that kind of person out there. That if they're not in a fight, they're just going to... They're just going to go find one. And we want to be godly peacemakers, not a silly fighter. So the context that's being spoken of here related to uh, vegetables and eating uh, is the idea of food that actually might be sacrificed 
to some sort of ungodly idol, something like that. And so we don't really have a context for this here, but let me just try and maybe give an illustration. So I've yet to do this, but for a number of years, I've uh, approached a couple local farmers, large animal farmers, and say, hey, I want to go in with a handful of friends, and I want to you know, I want to butcher that cow and, you know, the thing's going to be 10,000 pounds of meat and I'll just take 1,000 pounds for my family and we'll live off that the rest of our life, you know, <laughs> it's something like that. Well, I've never actually done that, but imagine that that's done and then the farmer goes, but before, before they, they go uh, to sell it to us, you know, friends, imagine that they go and they take a picture of President Trump, right? And then, they, and then they bow down in front of President Trump and they say, we dedicate the slaughtering of this cow to former President Trump. And then they get another picture. They get President Biden out there and they go, okay, oh, well, we're going we're gonna to bow down to President Biden. We're going to slaughter this animal in dedication to President Biden. That is called idolatry in the Bible. But we don't do that. I mean, that, I'm giving you a silly illustration, right? We would think that person's kind of weird. But in the ancient times, that's exactly what would take place. So in marketplaces, you would have food that was sacrificed to idols. So you can imagine there's no refrigeration. And so you're going to have a celebration. And you're going to need some, uh, you're going to need some food. And so all of a sudden, in the places where you could normally buy Food not sacrificed to idols, it's all gone. You had to work that day, uh, somebody bought it all. And now here at another vendor, another vendor, they're, they're looking at you going, okay, look, at, I understand you're a Christian. Hey, I'll give you 50% off. I just want to clear the house and I just want to go home like you. You can just take my vegetables and take them home and enjoy your meal. But it's, it's, it's food sacrificed to an idol. And so now you're in like some sort of personal ethical dilemma about that. Now, we're not to consume anything that's been eaten before idols. Not at all. Not to consume anything like that. But that becomes a bit of an ethical dilemma that people would sort of have to wrestle with. And so that would be part of what would be going on. And sometimes Christians would get together and say, well, where'd you get this food? Did you get it down the marketplace? Did, did, you, did you buy it from the guy who sacrificed the idol? Did you buy it to the guy with the incense? Did you buy it to the guy who's chanting? Did you buy it from this guy? Did you buy it from that guy? And so, so those things would become ethical dilemmas. And notice the phrase here. For, well, for us, for the one who was weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. In other words, listen, it's okay for us to say, I'm doing the best I can in life. And I'm laying it all before the Lord. And so here are the vegetables, the fruit, or the particulars that I'm serving to you. That's why I give you that principle. Be a godly peacemaker and not a silly fighter. Second principle related to this, sort of as we, as we, as we pursue this now in verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another. While another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, the one who observes the day honors it to honor the Lord. Since the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9. For this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both the Lord of both the living and the dead. 
Why do you pass judgment, verse 10, on your brother? And why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of, you will, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So these are all particular ways, personal ways of interacting, interacting together with one another. So here's a second principle I want to give you. Enjoy your own godly freedom and do not be offended by the godly freedom of others. So enjoy your own godly freedom. Do you want to come to church on Sunday under a tent at 10 o'clock with the ranch church? Everyone says, yes, we want to do that. Do you want to do it Saturday night at midnight? Do it. <laughs> Maybe nobody's going to be here, you know? You want to do it Friday night? You want to come Tuesday night to my Bible study? You want to come Tuesday night to my Bible study, right? Do it. You want to go to, you want to go, you want to, go to somebody else's house? Go to somebody else's house. In other words, you have, you have a lot of spiritual freedom. And so let's not be silly. Let's not say, you know, I go to Pastor Rick Soto's Bible study. We're going through the whole Bible. What are you doing? loser, you know, right? That's, so, so we don't want to be like that, you know? Well, oh no, we, we go to, we have, a, we have a home group. We have a ranch group. We do communion every week, every week, every week. We do, we do. And some people actually dare to pour real wine, right? So we, we that, those, are, those are things that are like pithy and pity, but Christians can actually do them. And you have versions of that. And we don't want to be like that. You know what we want to say? Do you go to a group that has communion every week? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that one you go. <laughs> one that you build the church of Christ. Three that you go learning and that you go giving and that you go building relationships. That you're partaking of the Lord. Praise the Lord that you're going. Praise the Lord that you come to the ranch church. Praise the Lord that you want to go Tuesday night to study the word. Praise the Lord for the things that you're doing. We want to be cheerleaders of one another. We're going to be tearing each other down. So enjoy your own godly freedom and do not be offended by the freedom of others. Third, related to that. Personal convictions must stay at the foot of the cross. Personal convictions have to stay at the foot of of the cross. Now listen, I had to wrestle a lot about whether I'm going to talk about this, but I'm just going to go there and we'll just, you know, it's just going to do that. So listen, this is Pastor Rick Soto, right? This is what I have to put at the foot of the cross. It would be my pastoral preference that you never drank alcohol. Ever. Alcohol took my father away from me, destroyed my family and my entire relationship with him. My sons, my good sons, my good, good sons grew up with absolutely no relationship to my father. Who could, outside of all of his alcoholic behavior and everything else like that, could actually remind them of our good family heritage and many good things that we as a family have things to celebrate and remind them of our Caribbean roots and all the journeys of our family and a rich, rich heritage for which we should, as a family, be proud about and really have nice things to say about. But because of that, I lost him. And as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times 
And again, this stays with me, right? Because here's what the Bible says. Do you have a different conviction? You're allowed to treat alcohol as a food. You want to have some food? You want to have a glass of wine with that? You have the freedom to do that. It doesn't matter what Pastor Rick Soto says. You have that freedom. And then of all the crazy things, all we wanted was a place to meet for church, and the Lord gave us a winery. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, God, that's, 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 that's really funny, you know, that's actually really, really funny. Uh, you know, that's like, okay, wow, we're going really, to really go there, you know. But you, you have that freedom. You have the freedom to, to be there. But I have lived through so many decades and so many decades, you know, and sometimes it's a man and sometimes it's a woman. I'll just put it in the male context, you know, and so it's somewhat a, a relationship that's a marriage that's winding down, you know, and so, okay, pastor, he drinks too much. He drinks too much. Okay, great. Bro, do you drink a lot? Do you drink? I don't drink that much. Okay, well, let's have a conversation. What's not that much, you know? I go, well, I get home at five o'clock. I work hard all day. I own a couple of businesses, you know, and hey, I can afford it. And so I just want to come home at five o'clock, have a drink. Okay, great. What do you drink? I have a drink. I have a beer. I have some beer. Okay, great. All right, by seven o'clock, how much have you drank? Oh, oh, pastor, you're going to ask me that, huh? You're going to ask me that? Yes, I'm going to ask you that. Two hours later, you got home at five, you started drinking. Two hours later, how much have you had? Okay, well, I've had a six-pack. What's wrong with that, pastor? Okay, well, we might call that a lot. <laughs> so, so let's just go there again, you know? So, so what, do you, what do you do every day? I mean, is that like every day? Is that like, you know, is there, is there, is there some family festival that you pounded a six-pack in two hours? You, do you do that every day? Do you do it every day? Well, if I want to do it every day, what business is of yours? Well, it's no business of mine except your woman's here and you're about to lose all of your finances, your house and your marriage and your kids and everything else like that. So maybe we can sober ourselves up a little bit for more, bro, and see, do you want to go there? Because what you're telling me is you want to lose everything you have so that you can have a six-pack a night, which probably isn't really a six-pack a, a night, is it? Because how much have you drank by nine o'clock at night? Oh, you're gonna be that guy, huh? You're gonna be that guy. You're gonna be that nasty guy. You're gonna be that, right? And then it's all the mean cuss words and that kind of thing. And look at I put this in a male context. I've had it from women. I've had that girl stand up in front of me, screaming at me this far away from me. I'm not embellishing that at all. Okay, well, how much have you had at nine o'clock? Well, maybe I had a twelve pack. Oh, you had a twelve pack. Okay, how much did you have before you went to bed? I took a couple shots. Okay, so you're having a 12-pack, and you're taking a couple of shots before you go to bed. You know what that's called? It's called alcoholism. So at this point, biologically, it's become kind of a disease, and it's actually a sin against God because what you're doing is you're creating this actual way in which your habit and your life is so great that you must have it. Therefore, it is greater than God in your life. And that's the problem. But I have to look before all of you as a church and say, nonetheless, you can have a meal. And you can have a family celebration. And you can actually enjoy yourself in that context. I have to put my personal convictions at the cross. And we all have to put our personal convictions at the cross. So we tend to look at one another. And we can look at one another in the wrong kinds of ways. And God has given to certain people certain freedoms that he hasn't given. And it's not necessarily about foolishness, but it is about freedom. And there is freedom. And just every culture, it changes. Every culture, it changes. You know, it's fascinating when you talk about the 
were part of the Calvary Chapel movement. It's really fascinating to hear some of the early writings of Pastor Chuck Smith and him talk about how he grew up and not being allowed, if you were a Christian, you could not go to a movie. Like, really? <laughs> but we think that's so weird. We have Netflix. Not only, we don't have movies. We have movies. I'm sure some of you guys, you probably have cable and Netflix. And then you subscribe to Apple Plus. Right? And then there's a special show on Peacock. So then you, got, you, you have the Peacock one right there. And then you, have, then you have all the channels. Right? You have all the channels. So my point is that we need to allow freedom and our convictions to stay at the foot of the cross. Verse 10 here, why do you pass judgment on your brother? And why do you despise your brother? For all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, verse 11, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Then each of us gives an account of himself to God. This is a, this is a very well-known word in scripture. It's called the Bema seat. And what the Bema seat means is that, is that you're like in a large stadium. Just you're at the Rose Bowl in Los Angeles. You're in the Coliseum. These would be like large, large stadiums. And in the middle, there's actually sort of like a throne and like a bench. And that, there would be the king. That would be Caesar. And the only people allowed into the, into the stadium on the ground before the king, before the Caesar, were the victors. The losers, they're gone. And then in the audience were all the people, the throng, the hundreds of thousands of people who were there for one single purpose, to acknowledge that the king had his right to actually bestow a reward upon the victory who came before the king. That's the Bema seat. And so scripture says that is actually the Christian. That we will actually come before God. The blood of Christ has done away with all sin. The blood of Christ has done away with all error. Have you made mistakes in your life, church? The answer is yes. done away with. Do you have sin that you've repented of, church? Yes. Done away with at the cross. Now you're coming before God in the actual divine moment for which you were born. You're actually born for what I'm telling you. Our salvation has this just fascinating depth. So most people get stuck on salvation and think that salvation is that I'm forgiven of sin. Do you want to be forgiven of sin? Raise your hand, right? Okay, great, good. You're all, you're all engaged. Yes, praise the Lord. You know what psychology says? It's the same thing. We know psychologically, academically, forgiveness is good. Forgiveness is good for the body. Forgiveness is good for the mind. Our salvation is deeper than that. Here's what our salvation is. You are forgiven of your sins. You're forgiven of every barrier before God so that you can actually, according to John 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, know God as Father. So that you could know the inner workings of God. And so that you could look at him face to face and say, do you understand, my daughter, my son, that I created you to know me, to have me, to be full of me, to be empowered by me, to be guided by me, to be blessed by me every day of your life. Amen. And now I'm removing that from you so that you can become before the beam of seat. And I'm going to give you this new divine heavenly body because this thing taps out, this thing taps out, this thing taps out. So we get a new divine and heavenly body. And who is there but Jesus? Resurrected from the dead. 
And Romans chapter 8 says that he is the only one who has the authority to judge. Who is the one who condemned? It is Christ Jesus. It is he. And what has he done? He has taken it away. And so he has the one who is there, and he looks at you, my beloved child, and he says, welcome into the joy of my master. And then he bestows upon you the rewards and rewards. And you think, what great thing have I done? Oh, but your heavenly father has been looking out for the great things you would be doing. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through on, he would say this. He's going to end it with a phrase called the least of me. And then he's going to go through an illustration. And he's going to say, he says, say, did you feed somebody? Did you clothe somebody? Did you help somebody? And in the illustration of Jesus, the, the, the person there says, when did I do that? And then the implication is, I was looking, I was watching, I was guiding you so that you would actually be participating in building my kingdom and having mercy upon the weak and having mercy upon the downtrodden and doing things and participating in church and participating in ministry because I was lifting you up for this very moment at the Bema seat by which I could reward you with divine treasure and angels will be in an auditorium all around you. And the heavenly throng will be around you and say, yes is God. Yes is Jesus. That's a son and that's a daughter. That's what you have to look forward to. And the text here says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to God. So each of us will give an account of himself to God. And that will be with the cross. And that will be at that Bema seat. Therefore, do not pass judgment, verse 13, on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Church, would you underline that? If you have a digital device, would you highlight that? Pick your battles well, children of God. So do not, just, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes peace for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. That's another good line to under, another one to underline. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another one stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Okay, so I have mentioned be a godly peacemaker not a silly fighter. I have told you to enjoy your own freedom and not be offended by the freedom of others. I've told you to have personal convictions that need to stay at the cross. And fourth, very simple. We need to lift people up. We actually need to lift people up. You know, you have to understand one of your divine jobs is not to be an Eeyore. You got to snap out of that. 
to lift somebody up, to find something nice to say about somebody. Like, so, like there's this idea that sometimes goes around church that somehow you're a shallow person, you know, if, you, if you're nice. Really, sometimes that's a more moral and courageous and godly and spiritual thing. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's, there, there's places. That's why it's so fascinating. I got it so fascinating that chapter 14 follows chapter 13 because chapter 13 is about civil government and that's kind of, you know, you know gritty in a sense and, and, and sort of the, the idea of standing up for what's right in the public square. And so this is actually really interpersonal even within the church. And so inside the church especially, we need to lift one another up. And you need to be that person doing that to one another. And that is not an absence of truth. We need to lift one another up. Fifth, related to this, and I'm going to spend a little time here, reject gurus, trends, and fads. Reject them. Reject gurus, trends, and fads. So it is interesting for me to no longer be in my 20s. How about that? <laughs> and to realize I've been around a little bit. And, and so there, there, there have been, through churches and through Christianity and through Christians in North America, throughout the world, there have been gurus and there have been trends and there's been fads. You know, so, so I, I remember one of the first ones related when we first had kids. Don't spank your kids. Spank your kids! Spank your kids a lot. So there's like these two trends, you know. Don't spank your kids. Don't spank your kids. Because if you don't spank your kids, if you really don't spank your kids, then, then they're going to want to move back when they're 25 and they're never going to leave. <laughs> right? It's sort of like these really weird things like that. You're like, really? I don't, I, I just like, you know, it's, 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 it's a one-month-old baby. I'm not spanking my one-month-old baby, you know. <laughs> I'm like, like my little buddy. And, uh, you know, and then, then it's, oh, oh, yeah, okay, then if you're nursing, then you have to be, you know, you have to be on the cycle, the schedule, right? It's every, I don't know, I can't even remember, my wife would have to, yeah, every three hours this way, and two hours that way, and then three hours this way, and then never pick the baby up when it cries. Like, that was another trend, right? If the baby's crying, the baby's crying, never pick it up, never pick it up. You're going to ruin their godly discipline of a six-month-old if you pick the baby up. I mean, it's just really silly stuff that went around, and it actually would divide. Like you'd be in a you'd be in a small group, and you go, and I I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home or anything. Like that. Neither did my wife. So like, well, I, I don't know anything about that. Like <laughs> we're just doing the Jesus loves me. I'm doing the best I can, you know. So that's that's our methodology. You know, you get in a small group, like, well, are you listening to so and so? Are you? Did you get those tapes? Did you go to that seminar? Did you go to that seminar raising your kid? You're a loser parent because you didn't do that. You know, and you tend to feel that way. So that's like a guru and a trend. Then the other one, the only one went around, right? Was right, you know, if you eat sugar, you're gonna go to hell. It's bad for you. It's bad for you. If you eat sugar, sugar's bad for you. It causes cancer, causes fat, you know, and all these other things. And let me just tell you what I told a friend of mine. If you think sugar is going to take you to hell, you're going to hell. I mean, there's no way. Like, if I want that cookie, I'm eating that cookie. And if I want two, I'm going to have two. And by the way, I don't get birthday cake. I get birthday pie. And I eat one my whole self without apology. And I'm going to put some whipped cream on that, more in my mouth, and I'm lining up all my sons, and I'm putting whipped cream in their mouth. You know what? Well, because it's love me Jesus time. 
But these are weird trends that would go around. Another, another one's vitamin. Oh, the vitamin trend. Oh, love me Jesus with the vitamin trend. Oh, my goodness. Are you, are you still taking a multivitamin? Oh, pastor, I feel so sorry for you. Don't you understand that you have to have individual vitamins that you buy from me and my multi-level marketing scheme? And so... So it's 5,000 vitamins. It's not just 5,000 vitamins. It's 5,000 vitamins. Pastor, don't you know? It's quercetin, which I always thought was like Kirsten, like a person, like I have friends, you know, Kirsten, like, is it, is it like my friend Kirsten? No, no, it's quercetin. Cur I'll spell it for you. It starts with a Q, I know. And, uh, you know, and so it's 5,000 milligrams of quercetin. Then it's 20,000, like I use, Pastor, of D3. So it's not just, no, you're only taking two. You're only taking 2,000. And so you're going to die at the age of 20. You know, I mean, it's like the vitamin thing. You know, like the vitamin thing went around. And if you said no to the vitamin thing, it's like, bro, I haven't seen you in church for a while. You said no to the vitamin thing. Can't be part of the ranch church. What can I tell you? You know, I got to be part of a ran I got to be part of a church that believes that Christians should have multi-level marketing schemes with one another and buy the vitamins of you know, like. So there's all these trends that go around. Bleh. Reject gurus. Reject trends. And reject fads. Reject them. Do not participate and the ungodly nature of culture that way. And stay at the cross. That's what this is talking about. What I just explained to you was in ancient Rome. Uh, you, you just pick it. It was this very different stripe and color, but it was the same thing. Really what Paul is getting at is what's called legalism. And I'm just going to give you a couple principles related to legalism. So related to legalism, the first kind of legalism, I'm going to run through a couple points real quick. We'll get to Father's Day. Number one, do more legalism. That's legalism. There is false teaching out there all over so many channels and a lot of churches that the nature of Christianity is you have to do more. Don't you realize you have to do more? You have to do more. I mean, come on, what's wrong with you? I mean, we all know that if you're doing more for church, you're obviously collapsing the folding chairs and putting them away. I mean, come on, you have to go do that. And if you're doing more, you're obviously parking cars. And then if you, you don't realize that you don't get, you don't, you don't come to church late. You come to church early. I mean, you have to do more. You have to do more. Don't you realize you have to come to this meeting and then that meeting and all those other meetings. You have to do more. The problem is you're not doing more. That's legalism. I do this because I love God. <laughs> and he called me to it. It's no attempt being a pastor to do more. We come to worship, we're not trying to do more. We're trying to gather together to, to free our hearts, to worship God, to be the people that he wants us to be as we are. Uh, the, the secret to supernatural change in a certain way, the paradox of it, is you're trying not to change. You're trying to lay down. You're trying to be with. You're trying to just let him grab you. I can't hold, get a hold of God in terms of like grasping on him. If my salvation or your salvation is depending upon you grab hold of God, you're dead and you're going to fall. He must hold you. This is Jesus' teaching in John. 
and he will hold you in his hand and not let you go. So do more is a form of legalism. Second is follow the rules. So churches have kind of like subcultures and there's like follow the rules. So when I first started preaching, there's follow the rules. So some forms of follow the rules are, don't you understand that you come to church in a tie and in a coat? Now, I actually, I'm going to tell you, and you guys know this, sometimes I've come to church in the middle of the year or whatever, no special function, and I'm dressed in a suit and it blows all of your minds. It's hilarious. You know, what happened to, where's Pastor Rick Soto? Well, do I look nice? You look nice today, but you're going to soon die. You know, like they can't deal with it, right? So I'm actually more, a little more of that persuasion. But I can remember where you were a godly person if you came to church in a tie and a suit and all of that. It's follow the rules. There's kind of these kind of rules, and you have to follow them. And so follow the rules. Then the third one, third form of legalism, is not just, not just do more legalism, not just follow the rules, but here's where it gets dangerous. Follow my rules. Follow my rules legalism. And, and that gets really into cults and cultish kind of behavior, and there's all kinds of different ways of that. But follow my rules, legalism is, is a part of that. Fourth is stay out of trouble legalism. And so there's people that are so afraid they're just going to get legalistic and try and keep all risk away from them and somehow justify that. Let me tell you, if you're going to be a Christian, God is going to push you out of the boat. And if you read the story about the boat, the story about Peter getting out of the boat, if you don't know your Bible, let me tell you, there was a storm. Like, in my mind, that's the worst time to get out of the boat. I want to get in the boat. <laughs> if there's a storm and I'm bouncing around, like, I'll stay in the boat. Like, Jesus, don't make me walk on water during the storm. <laughs> right? That's kind of our natural response. Peter says, hey, if there's a storm, Jesus, walk on water. This is cool. I'll get out of the boat. Jesus says, sure, let's do it. Chapter 14, Jesus is saying to you and to I, do it for me and do it for love. I want you to look around church is what Jesus is saying. I want you to look at other people and I want, you to, I want you to love them and I want you to be generous to them. I want you to give to them all that's in my heart for them through you. I want you to do it for me and do it for love. Their choices belong to me. I mean, as I started with the, you know, the whole alcohol thing before, look, at I'll tell you that every person I've ever told to stop drinking, it's been an abject failure. Every person I've told to come to Jesus and put it at the cross always, always worked. So it's not like we can't talk truth. <clears throat> but we're going to love people and we're going to do it for the Lord. Let me clue you into church life. Some people in church are hard to love. Oh, you didn't say amen to that. That's good. <laughs> Maybe we're all like really loving each other right now. It's just Jesus' gospel truth. Some people in church are hard to love. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that he's given us people that are different. And maybe you're not as easy to love either. And I know I have my moments of weaknesses as well. So Jesus says, will you love one another in the body of Christ and do it for me and do it for love? Will you cease from being judgmental, even though there's truth? Will you just celebrate the freedom that I give to you and stop trying to put that on somebody else? 
If you have a freedom in Christ and it's free to you, then enjoy it. And if somebody else has a freedom that's not your freedom, then I want you to be happy that it's their freedom and not yours. That's when we tend to say, ouch. So the Lord says, do it for me. And do it for love. And be in the church building and building and building one another up. And by all manner, stay away from legalism. Stay at that place of tremendous grace. Stay at that place of tremendous truth. The Bible will tell you that the day draws near. The Bible will tell you that you're not here very long, actually. The Bible will tell you that you'll blink, and if the Lord tarries, all of a sudden, those hands that are actually grabbing the wheel are a lot more wrinkly than you ever realized. The Bible will tell you that you're going to blink twice, and you're going to look in the rearview mirror, and you're going to get up in the morning, and you're going to put that water in your face, you put that water on your face, and you're going to look in the mirror, and you go, who's that old person looking back at me? So Jesus says, do it for me and do it for love. Pour into people in the church and build them up. And I will remember it. And whether you want to escape it or not, that day is coming when today or tomorrow you will expire from this lifetime. And you will be in front of the Lord in that beam of seat. And your only hope at that moment is the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is there, then all is wiped clean. And then there is you and God. And He will scroll through your life in His grace to reward you sweetly and richly and kindly and divinely. And then you can go on streets of gold and play with angels, great patriarchs of a former day. Be greeted as so many of us now wish for our loved ones who preceded us. Understand mysteries that are incomprehensible in this lifetime and be one of God's chosen ones, knowing Christ is Savior. So the church loses when it gets in these petty, petty battles. Don't play that game, it's a devil's trap. I have to ask you to come to Christ. I have to ask you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I have to ask you to take that very, very seriously. What's fascinating is, once again, your pastor would probably want some sort of like ritual that would make this easier. Wouldn't it be easier if I said, do you want to get saved? Do you want to get saved? Y'all want to get saved? Come forward, and I have a special candle from Jerusalem right here, and you can light it. And if you light it, then you just, then you're in, and you, then you can just go home and do whatever you want. What a tragedy that would be. 
I mean, there was a man who was once crippled in the scriptures, and Jesus comes to him and he says, he says, well, you know, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I'm waiting for some angel to tap the waters here, and then, you know, somebody can push me in the waters, and then I can get healed. But, you know, because I'm here and nobody likes me, you know, when the angels touch the waters, nobody's here around to push me. And, uh, and he asks the man, he says, you want to get healed? That's where Jesus blows my mind. And you have to understand, when you read the text, he's obviously gone. Like, well, are you kidding me? He's, he's, he's an invalid. <laughs> in third world conditions. You know what an invalid is like in third world conditions? You don't know, want to know what an invalid is like in third world. It's terrible. It's a terror. So Jesus says, okay. You can be healed. But he's going to ask you, you want to be healed? Or do you want to stay in your circumstances? You want to be saved? Or do you want to let, you know, your, 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 the things that turn inside of you, whether they're your sexuality or your economics or, or the pain and grief or all the things you don't have and the thousand and thousand regrets, do you want to hold on to those? Do you want to hold on to those or do you want to let them go? You want to be saved? I'll save you. So I'm going to pray which is a very simple prayer that is actually the entrance to Christ's throne. I'm going to pray what is arguably one of the most simple prayers, but if you agree with it in your heart, Christ will actually invade your heart and do something dynamic that is unspeakable because it's God. And all that matters is if you're going to receive the very words of others when Jesus says to you, you want to be healed? You want to be saved? You want to be born again? You want to be new? Then come. And here are my boundaries, Jesus says. I see you in your absolute, absolute private life when nobody else does. I see your stinking sin that you would be so embarrassed if I put it on a screen. I see everything. I see your lusts. I see, I see the nasty things you say about people. I know about all the envy and strife when you're driving down and like you're driving down the road and all the stuff that you think about that's so envious and makes you angry. Why does somebody else have? Why don't I have? All those things. I see all of that. I see all of that. And I'm not ashamed of you. Because you are my son and daughter and I'll save you. And I made you and I created you, and I understand all the terrible things done to you, and I am here to save you. So here's Jesus' boundaries. Don't ever be ashamed of me. I'm not ashamed to pull you out of darkness. Don't be ashamed of me living in light. So I'm asking you to come out of that darkness and come into the light. And never deny me as your Savior and Lord. And I was willing to go to the cross publicly for you, so don't ever be afraid to accept me publicly in front of man. I'm going to call you out. You want to be healed? You want to be saved? I will do that. And so I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. And then I'm going to ask you to come forward and acknowledge that. That's the exercising of the faith. And then next week I'm going to ask you to baptize. And I'm going to dunk you. And I'm going to dunk you two or three times, and some of you, i got to hold you down a long time. 
You want to be healed? You want to be saved? Jesus says, I'm not ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed of me. Stop walking in darkness. I have light for you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray now over your church. I pray, God, that you would come and speak to us, Lord Jesus, with tremendous, tremendous love. I pray that you would help us and help us and help us, God. I pray, Jesus, that we would come to know you as Savior and Lord. I pray that we would come to know you in the innermost workings of your heart. I pray, God, that we would come into the personal relationship with you, to be my God, to be my Savior, to be my Lord. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.